Stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. We're looking in the book of Genesis chapter number 3 this morning. If I could have just a tad bit more monitor, not a lot, just a tad bit. Genesis chapter number 3 this morning. Genesis chapter number 3, we're going to begin reading with verse number 8. We will read down and include verse number 13. The Bible says that when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called, then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. (laughs) Who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate. Let's look at verse number 9 for a starting point this morning in our text. It says, Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? Father, I thank you for your incredible word. Father, I just pray today, Father, that your word, Father, will go forth in anointing and in power today. God, I just pray today, Father, that you will enable and empower us today. God, I pray that you will give us ears on our hearts today, Father, to hear the word of the Lord. But God, I pray that not only will we be hearers of your word today, but God, I pray that we will become doers of your word as well. Holy Spirit, do your work, I pray, in this place. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. You may be reseated this morning. Let me remind you that there are fill-in-the-blank fill in the blank outline on the back of your announcement card so you can follow along. And it gives you something to take home with you. This morning, I I, I want us to take a look at three questions that God asked three different people. Now, now although these questions were asked to somebody else, they are questions that, that could probably be asked to some of us that are sitting here in this room today. The first question was addressed to the first man to ever live on planet Earth, a man named Adam. And the question that God asked Adam was, where are you? Where are you? Now, there are three things in the passage that I read a moment ago, and I want to call your attention to this morning. And the first one is the call. I want you to notice the call. It's found in verse number 9. The Lord called out to Adam, and the Lord called out, and he said, Where are you? Adam, Adam, where are you? Now, I think we need to understand this morning that it was not that God didn't know where Adam was. I believe that God knew exactly where Adam was. 
It wasn't that God didn't know where Adam was. I, I believe it was that, that God wanted Adam to know where he was. I also believe that it really, really wasn't anything about where Adam was. It was really all about where Adam was not. It wasn't so much about where Adam was. It was where Adam wasn't. See, see, it was time for Adam and God to take the daily walk. Every single day God would come down from heaven and God would take a walk with, with, with Adam and with Eve. And it was time for God and Adam to take their daily walk in the cool of the evening. It was time for their fellowship. It was time for their meeting together. And God showed up just as, like he always did, but it was Adam. It was Adam that was absent. It was Adam that didn't show. It was Adam that had gone A-W-O-L. And God calls out to Adam and he says, where are you? Where are you? I don't know your situation today. I I don't know uh, what is going on this morning. But perhaps this is the question that God wants to ask you today. God wants to ask you this morning perhaps, where are you? Where are you, God may be asking you today. We, we once enjoyed sweet fellowship. Oh, oh, we used to walk hand in hand together through life. Oh, there was a time oh, when you spent time in my presence. Oh, oh, there was a time that you spent much time in my word and much time in prayer. There once was a time when, when nothing would keep you from my house. Oh, there was a time when you could not wait oh, to get to church. Oh, you loved to pull your chair close to my table and feast. Oh, from the table of God, I'm still here. I still show up. I'm still available. Where are you? Second thing I see in this passage is the conviction. Verse number seven, we actually didn't read it, we should have, but verse number seven says, at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. And verse 10 says, uh, he said, I hid from you because I was afraid. May I say to you this morning that sin will separate you from God. I suggest to you this morning that sin will cause you to become uncomfortable in God's presence. Can I tell you that eventually sin will drive you away from God? You see, before Adam sinned, he couldn't wait to spend time with God. Oh, oh, before he sinned, the highlight of his day. Oh, he couldn't wait for the cool of the evening when God would show up. Oh, and they would go for a daily walk together. But because Adam sinned by disobeying God, oh, the moment that he sinned, conviction gripped his heart. And conviction brought with it guilt and shame and fear. Now Adam finds himself far from God. See, it's, no, it's not so much where Adam was, but it, but it is where he wasn't. And maybe you're here today and God is calling out to you, where are you? Where are you? He asked. And it's not so much about where you are, but it is about where you are not. You are no longer close to him. 
Maybe you're like the people that Jesus described in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart, oh, their heart is far from me. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 22, Jesus said, Jesus said, not everybody that calls out to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of God. But Jesus said, only those that actually do the will of the Father, which is in heaven. I tell you what is very, very sad today. And that is that you can sit right here every single Sunday and still go to hell. In fact, some people come to church nearly every single Sunday. Oh, they sing the songs. Oh, they listen to the sermon. Oh, they play the part. But they do absolutely nothing with what they hear. James said in chapter 1 and verse 22 of his book, he said, don't just listen to God's word. He said, you must do what it says. He said, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. I believe that God is asking someone here this morning, where are you? You're here, but you're not really here. You're here in body, but you're not here in spirit. You're here in body, but, but oh, your spirit is far, far away. Oh, 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 you are here, and you sing the songs, and you hear the sermon. Oh, you are here, and you play the part, but deep down on the inside, there's no relationship. Oh, you leave this place, and you live no different than the world lives. You leave this place, and you are no, cha- no more changed than you were the moment that you, that, that you walked in. How many will sit right on the church pew, which is a chair now? A chair now. But how many will sit on the, on the chair of the church and come week in and week out? And yet, and yet in eternity, they'll spend eternity away from God in a horrible place called hell. Because they never did anything with what they heard. Oh, excuse me, I forgot we're not supposed to talk about hell anymore. I pray that conviction will fall upon someone here this morning. Oh, but as conviction grips your heart today, I pray that instead of running away and hiding from God like Adam did, I pray that you will run toward him. Oh, that you will fall down before him. Oh, that you will repent of your sin and you will begin to align your life with his word. Notice the third thing I see in the passage. And that's the complaint. Found in verse 12, Adam said, It was a woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. In verse 13, Eve replied, It was a serpent. It deceived me. Adam, Adam blamed Eve, but not only did he blame Eve, he actually blamed God. He didn't just say it was a woman. He said, God, it was the woman you gave me. Wow. God, it's your fault. Eve blamed the serpent. The question today is who are you blaming? Who are you blaming? 
Who do you blame your sin on? Do you blame it on your parents? Do you blame it on your spouse? Do you blame it on your friends? Do you blame it on society? Do you blame it on the church? The title of my message today is God Questions. God asked Adam, where are you? Evidently, Adam wasn't where he was supposed to be. My question today is, are you? Where are you? Are you close to God? Are you walking with God? Are you enjoying sweet fellowship with God on a daily basis? Or are you far, far from Him today? Has sin separated you from God? Where are you? Second question I'd like to talk about today is the question, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? This is the question that God asked a man, a prophet named Elijah. This question can be found in 1 Kings chapter number 19. And I want us to notice that in chapter 18... Elijah had challenged King Ahab's prophets, 850 in all. He challenged them to the gunfight at the OK Corral. You know what that is? That ain't that old, Bubba. Because they had a remake of, what was that? Shoot them up. That's my favorite, one of my favorite movies, huh? Tombstone. That ain't that old, Bubba. I usually ask these young bucks before I use this, I say, do you know who this is? Because I know, you know, when I bring up some really incredible people like Barney Fife, and, you know, half the people don't know who in the world I'm talking about. (laughs) The real problem is I need to ask the older people before I use the, because they don't know who the new ones are. Right? Anyway, in chapter 18, Elijah had challenged King Ahab's prophets, 850 in all, to a showdown. The odds were 850 to 1, and yet the Bible says that Elijah prevailed. The Bible also says that in in chapter 18 that he prayed for rain. Oh, to stop a three and a half year drought. For three and a half years there had not been one drop of rain. And yet Elijah prayed and the heavens opened and there wasn't some little sprinkle or a little bit of a drizzle, but there was a deluge. All of this happened to and through this man named Elijah in chapter number 18. But in chapter number 19... King Ahab's wife Jezebel sends out a Facebook post threatening to kill him. And the 75 and 80 year old people say, what's a Facebook post? (laughs) Elijah has just stood toe to toe with 850 men and one. He just boasted to the king that he was going to produce rain when not one single drop of rain had fallen for three and a half years. And it happened. Now he gets a threatening Facebook post and he takes off running. 
really? Really? He takes off running, and first he finds himself a lonely little juniper tree, and he sits down under the tree, and he starts to pout. Then he gets up, and he runs far away and hides in a cave. I ask you, is this the same man? What happened to his faith? What happened to his courage? Where did his boldness and his cockiness go? In chapter 19 and verse 9, God asked Elijah this question. What are you doing here? Notice the rebuke. What are you doing here, Elijah? He's hiding in a cave. And God asked him, what are you doing here, man? Is this a place for a man of faith like you? Perhaps this is your God question today. Perhaps God is looking at you and your situation in your life and how you are handling it. And perhaps God's question to you this morning is, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Man, you were once a mighty worker for God. Oh, you were once full of faith, huh? Oh, you were once filled with passion for your work. Once upon a time, you were a literal pillar in the church. Oh, you were very effective in your ministry. Maybe you worked with kids. Maybe you taught adults. Maybe you were good at one-on-one evangelism. Oh, you had such a love and such a passion and such a heart for God. Oh, you had such a love for His work. Oh, you had such a positive, upbeat, cannot-fail attitude. Oh, you felt like like you could take on hell with a water pistol. But today, today you're more like the Elijah of chapter 19, not 18. Today you're more like Elijah was in chapter 18 when he was sitting under the juniper tree sucking his thumb and feeling sorry for himself. I've done so much. I've been so faithful. I don't deserve all that's happening to me. Wah, wah, wah. Maybe you're like him when he was hiding in the cave. Just let me hide out for a while. I've known a few saints like that over the years, have you? Let me just hide out for a while. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. Uh, I don't want to be around anybody. Leave me alone. If you'll read the story, we don't have time, but Elijah had his servant with him. But he left him in Beersheba when he went out into the wilderness to be able, because he, he knew that the servant wouldn't put up with his pity party. He knew his servant would say, yeah, yeah, you got the Facebook post, but have you forgotten about the 850 prophets that you destroyed? 
Have you forgot about praying down rain after it hadn't rained for three and a half years? Have you forgotten about the faithfulness of God? But Elijah didn't want to hear it. He was going to have himself his pity party and nobody was going to take it away from him. God looks down at Elijah, his number one prophet. He had just awarded him the trophy for prophet of the year. But here he is hiding in a cave, running away from his enemy instead of standing toe-to-toe with his enemy. And God says to him, what are you doing here, man? What are you doing here? Not only notice the rebuke, then notice the rebuttal. Verse 10, Elijah replied. We've always got something to say, don't we? Verse 10, Elijah Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people, (laughs) it's always the people in it, but the people, Next time I preach to preachers, I'm going to preach about this because that's what, but the people. <laughs> Write that down, baby. I got to take this with me to Africa next time I go. But the people. It's always our problem, isn't it? The people. Elijah says, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. How many understand Elijah had just exaggerated his problems? Did Elijah have a problem? Yes. But he's exaggerated his problem. Because first of all, Elijah has just reestablished God's altar. He did that on Mount Carmel, right? He's just this. Reestablish God's altar and reestablish God as the true and the living and the only God. Second of all, it's not God's people that have threatened him. It's just one person, Jezebel, who is definitely not one of God's girls. And third, you think you're the only one God has left? Verse 18, God says to him, I've got 7,000. You think you're the only one. I don't have seven. I've got 7,000 in Israel that have never bowed to Baal. Perhaps you too have exaggerated your problems. I'm not saying that you don't have any problems. And I know some of the problems that some of our people have. And so I have I, I've really fought over this next two minutes of preaching. Every day when I pray and I prepare myself for this day. Someone came to see me on Monday. Had all my books out. I'm studying. They said, you start for Sunday on Monday? I said, oh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, Yeah. But every day when I'm walking up and down in the front of this auditorium, I'm, 
I pray and I prepare myself for this day. And there's one of the many, many prayers that I pray every day. But one prayer is, God, first of all, tell me what to say. And when I leave here and I go back to my office and I sit down, tell me what to say. And I start writing and God starts speaking to me. But I say, God, after I've got it written down, and then I start studying over it and I read it over and over and over and try and get it off the page and into my heart. But it comes from my heart to the page, back to my heart's the way it happens. I say, God, if there's anything in here that I'm not supposed to say, you let me see it when I'm, when I'm going through this so I can scratch it out. If there's something that's not in there that you want in there, tell me and I'll put it in there. And every time that I look at that, I look at, look at my notes that way. And then I say, God, when I am preaching, God, when I am preaching, help me to be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And if there's still something in those notes that does not need to be be said, blind my eyes so I won't even see it. I won't even know I missed that part. And because I know of some circumstances and some situations, I fight against some things. And this is part of it. I'm not saying that you don't have any problems. It's still in my notes. I can still see it. God has not checked my spirit. I'm not saying that you don't have any problems, but are they as big as you make them out to be? You see, usually if we would simply look around, we won't have to look very far. And we will see somebody else, several somebody else's, who have far more problems than we have, and yet their faith is not wavering. And even if our problems are huge, isn't our God still bigger than our problems? And I ask you this morning, has God totally forsaken you? Oh, oh, if you think he has totally forsaken you, then let me ask you this this morning. Who is providing you with the food that you are eating? And who is providing you the clothes that you are wearing? And who is providing you the shelter that is keeping you warm at night? And who is it that keeps putting breath in your body so you can stay alive? The Bible says that if we have food, clothing, and shelter, with food, clothing, and shelter, we are to be content. It didn't say in luxury. It didn't say in health. It didn't say in prosperity. He said if you got something to eat and something to wear and somewhere to get out of the cold, you need to be content and know that God has provided that for you. Again, please do not think I'm being unkind. Please do not think that I am being unsympathetic today. I do not mean to be in my pastor's heart. My pastor's heart makes it hard and difficult to say this this morning. But the prophet is coming out in me right now. Maybe what you want is sympathy. But on the other hand, maybe sympathy isn't really what you need. Ah, what you want is a lonely tree you can sit under and suck your thumb. 
What you really want is a cave where you can lock yourself and hide yourself away. And you would bring the servant with you if you thought he would pat you on the back and tell you, it's okay, I understand. Oh, 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 oh. Lay your head on my shoulder here. Oh, cry it out. Elijah knew that wasn't the medicine he was going to receive. I don't know, but maybe you're like Elijah. Sympathy wasn't what he needed. Sympathy would have kept him sitting under the juniper tree sucking his thumb. Sympathy would have kept him in the cave hiding out. If he had needed sympathy, God would have given him sympathy because God gives us not what we want, but he gives us what we need. But Elijah didn't need sympathy. He needed, he needed to be rebuked. And that's exactly what he received was rebuke. He rebu- got rebuked from the Lord and God said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, man? You just called down fire out of heaven. You just killed 850 false prophets, man. You just opened the heavens. It caused rain to come after a three and a half year drought. And now you're hiding in this cave. What are you doing here, man? All right, talk about one last God question this morning. The question was asked to Ananias in the book of Acts chapter 5. And his question that God asked was, why have you let Satan fill your heart? In Acts chapter 5, the story is told about two church members. Say church members. Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Not Elvira, Sapphira. You don't know who Elvira is either, do you? Elvira. All I can say is you've lived a sheltered life. You were born too late. That's all I can say. <laughs> the Bible says that the people, and I'm going to try and hurry this morning. Doesn't mean I'm going to, but I'm going to try. Super Bowl don't start till 5.30. Oh, I know. They start talking about it, right? They start talking about it at 3 o'clock this morning, probably. The people in this church... We're selling all of their property and giving all the money to the church. Sound like a good idea to me. (laughs) Ananias and Sapphira decided to sell their property, but they were not willing to give all of the money they got from the sale of their property to the church. And so they decided together, say together, they decided as a couple, as a married couple, they decided together that they would pretend to give all the money. They would make the leaders of the church think that they were giving all the money, but in fact, they would keep back part of the money for themselves. So Ananias, as well as Sapphira, 
make a trip to the church to meet with the leadership of the church to present the money from the sale of their property to, to present it to the, to the elders, to the leaders of the church. Peter receives the money and no doubt asks the question, is this all of the money from the sale of your property? I wonder how it would go over here at the Grace Place. If I asked some of our members, is this all of your tithe? I, I thought it was pretty funny, only three people laughed. I, I, I wonder how I'd go over here if I said, hey, is this all of your tithe? Uh, let's see, a tithe is 10% of your income. So uh, you gave $100 uh, a month to the church, so 100 times 10 is 1,000, okay? So if your tithe for the month was $100, that means you made $1,000 that month. So you're telling me that you drive a nice car, live in a nice home, wear nice clothes, eat out quite often, and you only make $1,000 a month? I'm going to have you teach my next financial class. I wonder how we would go over here at the Grace Place if I asked some of our members, is this all of your tithe? Is this 10% of your total income? This is... I really, really would love on those, you know, end-of-the-year letter thing, I would really love to say on some of them, just right in there, really? <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not. <laughs> Peter asked Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You're so, you're both so full of pride. Selling your land was not mandatory. Nobody told them they had to do it. And giving all the money after you sold the land was not mandatory. What they did in the fact of selling their property but not giving it all, that was not a sin. That wasn't their sin. First of all, it was their property. They didn't even have to sell the property. Nobody said they had to sell the property. And after they sold the property, they didn't have to give all the money to the church. But Ananias and Sapphira, your sin was you wanted everyone to think you did. You wanted everyone to think you did what you actually schemed together not to do. You got your heads together and you figured out a way. Hey, here's a way where we can look good and still keep some of the money. And as long as we both have the same story, we all right. We look good to the elders because we're bringing our money to the church. What they don't know won't hurt them. But we kept back some. And we're going to the mall right after church. Peter said to them both, you haven't lied to me. You ain't lied to this church. You have lied 
And because you've lied to God, there are men waiting by the door. Look back there. They're standing right there back at the door. In a moment, you're going to fall down dead. And they're here to carry you out and bury you. Because you've lied to God. The Bible says both Ananias and Sapphira died that day under the divine judgment of God. (laughs) Somehow I just have to believe the offering next week was incredible. (laughs) Could we have a couple of ushers to stand at the back of the door? I know I'm over time this morning, but if, if Super Bowl goes over time tonight, you will be so thrilled and so excited. If it goes into three overtimes, you just love every minute of it. So we're in overtime. Are you excited? Yeah. Woo! Yeah. Come on. If you read the Bible, you see I'm really not over it. I got the service late today, actually. It's true. If you read the Bible, you... You see God's severe judgment handed out quite often. Back here in this part of the book, the Old Testament. I mean, it's kind of depressing sometimes you read back here, huh? (laughs) Didn't take much to tick God off back then, did it? He didn't like it. He just opened the earth up and just swallow you up, man. Right? It's in there, right? If you read the Bible, you see God's severe judgment handed out quite often in the Old Testament. After Jesus and after grace, not so much. Right? Am I right? Not so much. Still got a problem. This is after grace. This is after Jesus. This is in this part of the book. It's recorded in the book of Acts in the New Testament, after Jesus. Listen, we must understand that grace does not give us a license to sin. Grace just means it don't matter how bad a dude you are. There's still hope for you, and God will still love you, and God will still forgive you. But that doesn't give you a license to go out and sin. Should we continue in sin so grace can abound? Paul said, don't be ridiculous. Amen. Very, very quickly, let me call your attention to four things we can learn about sin from Acts 5. Number one, the source of their sin. The source of their sin. Acts 5 and 3. He says, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Satan is the source of sin. And he's got a whole bag full of tricks. And if one thing doesn't work, he'll try something else. And he knows that it takes different kinds of bait to lure different kinds of people. Second thing I want us to notice about sin here, and I'm just giving them to you and then we're done this one. That is the submission to sin. The submission to sin. Acts 5 and 3. Why have you let, say let, Why have you let Satan fill your heart? He goes on to say you. Say you. 
you lied to the Holy Spirit. Who lied? You. You kept back part of the money. Who did it? You did it. They did it. Listen, Satan can tempt us, but he can't make us. And nobody sins without consciously submitting and yielding and giving in to temptation. And friend, to say that the devil made me do it is a cop-out. The devil can't make us do anything. And then there's the secrecy of their sin. Acts 5, 1 and 2, they agreed together, man and wife. They agreed to sell their property. They agreed to keep some of the money for themselves. And they agreed to act like they gave it all. Ananias and Sapphira have a great big secret. The problem with the secrecy of sin is you can't keep sin a secret. Sir, you think your sin is a secret. You think you're doing it in the middle of the night when everybody else is asleep and nobody sees you and nobody knows what's going on. But I'm telling you, there's somebody that knows. The problem with the secrecy of sin is you can't keep sin a secret very long because sin will eventually be exposed. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 32 or Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23. I want to give it to you correctly. Be sure your sin will find you out. And Jesus said what you do in the dark, he's going to expose in the light. And he says what you do in secret, he is going to expose for everybody to see. So I challenge you this morning, if you have some secret sin in your life, oh, I would encourage you today to repent of it. Repent of it. Get it under the blood. Get it out of your life before God exposes it. The last thing I want us to talk about is the secret or the seriousness of their sin. The seriousness of their sin. And all sin is serious in God's eyes. Sin cost Ananias and Sapphira their life and no doubt their soul. Because the Bible says the wages or the payment for sin is death. And it's not just physical death, but it is spiritual death, which is eternal punishment in a lake of fire, eternal separation from Almighty God. Oh, pastor, don't you have any good news? Yes, 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 I've got good news. And the good news is it's not too late to repent of your sin. The good news is God stands ready, willing, and able to forgive you. Oh, the good news is grace is abounding today. Grace is available today. The good news is that God, God will take you just like you are, but God will change you through His blood and through His Spirit and through His power. And the good news is that God is here today, ready, willing, and able to receive you, to accept you, to forgive you, to cleanse you, and to make you what he wants you to be. Amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise in his house today. Musicians and singers get back in place very, very quickly this morning. Today we've been talking about three God questions. Three what I call God questions. God asks, first of all, where are you? Where are you? Why don't you stand with me in his presence today? Everyone standing. No one leaving, please, unless it's an emergency, but stand. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today. There are three questions that God asked, and I know God asked them to other individuals, but I'm, I'm convinced and I'm persuaded today that there are people here today that God is asking these very same questions to. I don't know which one is your question, and maybe it not, might not even be one of the three questions that I presented today, but God is asking you a question today. How will you respond to his question? 
first question God asked, he asked Adam, he said, where are you? Where are you? It's the cool of the evening. It's time for us to worship. It's our time for us to, 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 to walk together, to talk together, to fellowship, to spend time together. I'm here. I'm here. Where are you? Where are you? Adam, I miss you, Adam. Where are you, Adam? Where are you? Adam, I want to walk with you. Adam, I want to fellowship with you. Adam, Adam, I want my time with you. Adam, where are you, Adam? Where are you? God is calling somebody here today to say, where are you? Where are you? I miss you. I miss you. I miss our sweet fellowship. Where are you? Second question God asked. Eli, why are you doing here? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing under that tree? Pouting. What are you doing in that cave? Hiding. Man, you're a you're a powerful man of God. What are you doing here? And God, no doubt, is talking to somebody here today. He said, What are you doing here? What are you doing in doubt and unbelief? What are you doing? In complaining. Don't you know who you are? You're a child of the Most High God. This ain't like you. What happens to your faith? What are you doing here? And maybe God is asking somebody the question, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Why have you let Satan fill your heart? What's in your heart today that doesn't belong there? Why have you allowed Satan to put that in there? Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed and nobody's looking about this morning. How many of you today would lift a hand and and say, yeah, one of those three questions or another question, God is asking me today. And I see your hand all over this room. Yeah, yeah, lift them up high. Wave at me where I can see all over this building. There is hands raised all over, all over, all over this room. I want to invite everyone to the front right now this morning very quickly and very quietly, but move very quickly. We're a few moments over. We had a couple of extra things in the service this morning. I actually did preach my 40 minutes or maybe, maybe 42, but pretty much my normal. But we're a few minutes over, and I understand that this morning. But this is the most important part of the service. This is where you make the decision what you're going to do what you heard are you going to leave
leave this room today the same as you were when you came in this room? Or are you going to be different? Are you going to be better because you've taken the word and you've done something with it? I want you to do something with the word this morning. If you lifted your hand for one of these three questions this morning, I want you to answer that question. And if answering that question means that you need to repent, then you do that. You do that. Father, I just pray today, Lord, there was, I don't know how many, but people in every single one of our sections, dozens of people that lifted a hand this morning, Lord, that one of these questions, the Holy Spirit used to ask them, God, I pray today that they will give the correct answer. And they will do something about it today. And when they walk out the door this morning, they will not be the same as when they walk in the door. God, I pray for that heaviness, that heavy spirit, Lord, that is upon someone right now. I pray it be lifted in the name of Jesus. Lifted in the name of Jesus. I pray for that one today that has secret sin in their life today. I pray they confess it to you today. And I pray today that it is gone from their life. I pray for that one that is discouraged, that is, that is down, that is burdened. And it's hurting today. That's why it was so hard to say some things I said this morning. And I, I, I begged you to let me take it out of the sermon. You would not allow me. I know they would rather have sympathy today and I would rather give it. But if all they receive is sympathy, nothing will change. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll do your work in this place today, right now. From my far left to my far right today, God. God, move. Holy Spirit, move in and out of the people today. God, God, touch hearts, touch lives, lift spirits. Encourage, set free, bless, encourage, deliver, provide, protect, prosper in the name of Jesus. Do your work, Holy Spirit.